But I do want to introduce our speaker, Billy Patterson. Why don't you come up here? Billy is, is no stranger to the Parks Church. Uh, he and his wife, Kelly, uh, attend the Parks Church here um, when they're not traveling around uh, the U.S. mentoring and leading uh, other pastors like me. And, and this guy has been a faithful staple in my life for nearly a decade. And I can't say enough about this, this man's integrity, his love for Jesus, his love for his wife and his family. And, and I've, I've gotten to know him in all three of those areas, for, uh, all four of, four of those areas, uh, very intimately. And so I'm just so thankful. He's been a pastor. He's been a missionary. You've done it all, Billy, right? And, uh, and so he's here to, to bring the word of God, especially on uh, this Father's Day. It is a real treat uh, to have you here. So love you, man, and, and thanks for bringing the word. Thank you. They told me to give him a high five, but I thought better. I thought I would give him a hug. I love, I love Kyle and Tessa. I just told Kelly. It's something about just, I mean, you guys feel it too, but. The love they have for the Lord is so, um, it's just so attractive. And you have such a great pastor. I just want you to know that. You know it already, but man, you need to hear it. I get to meet with him and I'll ask him tough questions and he'll be honest with me. And So that's good. He's got an elder team and he's got extra friends like me that just really surround him and Tessa. So I want to say happy Father's Day. What a privilege it is to actually get to be with you today on this day. Um, you may think I'm Kyle for some of you. I, I, I know my, uh, but I want to be clear that it's not me. I, I, there was a season I was letting my hair grow out <laughs> and I wasn't shaving. And my wife said, Billy, you look like Kyle's old man emoji. <laughs> so I went quickly to the haircut place and unfortunately bro that makes your future not very bright Kyle sorry not very bright we recently moved back to the area uh, we went on a little missionary journey to Oklahoma for about seven years and we're back and this morning I don't I don't think they're at the service <clears throat> but my two of my sons will be here which will be a privilege to have them here and one and one of my son's has a girlfriend, sweet, precious girl named Kennedy, and my sister will be here. So it's going to be a, a fun, fun morning for them to be able to be a part of your family here. Um, and I'm just, again, so thankful. My two other sons are in Nashville, and you guys helped raise them at one season of our life and poured into their lives. So just want to say thank you to that. You helped father them and mother them along with us. So I was scheduled to speak last Father's Day, and so the it was that it was that gospel song. I mean, it was the old song. I wasn't planning on getting teary-eyed for a little while, but um, tears are good. But what a friend we have in Jesus! I just pictured my mom, who was a music um, teacher. She would lead the, we called them the old folks. I would have, I'd be in that class now. The old folks class at the church I grew up in, and she would play those and just smile and lead them in worship and sing really loud. Um, but last year, I was scheduled to speak on Father's Day, and my, we drove down here Saturday night, and I got a call from our hospice nurse, and she said, you need to get back. 
and you guys were so gracious. I mean, I was, I called Sam, and um, I think Kyle and Tess were on vacation, and um, any chance they can get not having to listen to me, they get away. <laughs> but Sam filled in, and we, we drove back. I spent the evening, oh, spent, spent the night with my dad in the room, and woke up the next morning, and the, the hospice nurse um, said, you know, I don't know what he's hanging on for. His body was pretty riddled. He, he couldn't speak. He was laying on one side, couldn't move, and his eyebrows would move. So we thought, well, maybe he's communicating. And we said, no, I think he said goodbye to everybody, but we'll bring him. My two sons that lived in the area came in. The other two got on FaceTime. My wife led this sweet time with them about sharing stories about his life and uh, impact. And literally, basically after saying um, goodbye, the boys left the room. Kelly left. I thought I'd be staying another couple days. 30 minutes later, I turn and look. He's on his back, and the peace of God was all over him. And he went home. (laughs) So the beautiful thing is today, um, he's rejoicing that we're here worshiping with you because that's what he's doing. So uh, that's the story. And I'm glad I got it out and we're through that. So, but thank you for letting me come back. It's such a privilege. Um, So this is my first year without them. Both my mom and my dad are gone, and so I feel a little bit of waves of sadness, loss, grief, and um, I also feel that that other tug I'm sure some of you have felt when you lose both parents, like you go, well, I guess it's time I got to grow up, you know, it's like I'm 59, and I, I go, there's no one to turn to, there's no emergency lever, it's up to me, you know, it's like that kind of feeling, um, but I don't really think too much on those things. I actually think about, you know, not my dad's mistakes, which were several. But those things kind of over time, not for everyone. It takes a lifetime, I understand, for many of us who have a poor father. But over time, I've watched in the last 10, 15 years, the things that he made mistakes kind of, have drifted away. And I start to think about the incredibly difficult life that he had to lead, Um, the curveballs that life threw him. And through it all, he remained a loving father. This last year, I walked through in my mind the inheritance my father left me. And now I am not talking about money or things. There's an inheritance that we live out, that we pass on to our next generation. Doesn't necessarily mean your kids. It it certainly does. But it means all those around you. (coughs) And I was thinking about the inheritance my dad left me. And then it began to move to what is the inheritance I'm leaving? So the inheritance my dad left me, I thought of, I knew my dad loved me. I mean, especially the last 10, 15 years, like, it was such an incredible 
like ride, I guess, so to speak, in the sense we're watching my mother struggle with Alzheimer's, but my relationship with him became incredibly full and meaningful. Um, Things he would share with me for the first time, which were amazing. I also knew, secondly, that my dad loved my mom. My mom had an alcoholic, she was an alcoholic. She had an addiction problem, and she was very difficult to live with. He never left her. And part of that is because of number one, he loved me and my sister, but he stayed with her, and after she died, the love that he, he expressed about how much he loved her was amazing. And then the third, you probably already guessed, but my dad loved Jesus. Towards the back end of his life, he deeply, was deeply burdened for his, his family members. He wanted to share the gospel with them, make sure they knew Jesus before they died. He was constantly, when he'd come over to our house on Sundays, we'd lead him out of uh, his uh, memory care, and he'd come see us, and he would always, he'd get right into it, man. He'd start talking about Jesus, and he'd start telling the boys, you know, how, how important Jesus is. And, but I knew, without a doubt, how much he loved Jesus. So all of these inheritances, they're revolved around one word, right? Love. He loved me. He loved my mom. He loved Jesus. He imparted an inheritance of love and faithfulness, I hope, that I can give to my sons. If you don't mind, I'd like to ask about you. What is the inheritance you are imparting to those around you? And before I go any further, I have an assumption and I'm, that for most of you in the room, I assume that I'm not teaching you anything new today. But I love A.W. Tozer as he states this. He says um, in one of his books, I'm just rearranging the table so that you might see things a little differently, okay? So this verse that we're going to read together right now is Matthew 12, 29 through 31. And I just want to rearrange the table so that you can actually see this verse in a more full and meaningful capacity or way. The first of all the commandments is, Jesus is speaking, Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So, Father... We just ask you to rearrange the table if needed. We ask you, Lord, that you would speak to us today, that the word of God would become active in our hearts this morning as we experience your presence. I surrender uh, whatever words that I say are not from you. May they fall to the ground. And may the things that are from you, may they speak fully to us in Jesus' name. So what is the inheritance you are imparting to others right now? It doesn't matter how old you are. Not the things of life, but the life you're sharing with those around you. And if you believe you're doing a poor job right now, I just want to give you some hope. There was a fella on the cross alongside Jesus that his last breath, he made a course correction. 
You can make a course correction at any point in your life. You're in control. But you are imparting something whether you know it or not. You are imparting things right now. You impart who you are. So let's think a minute. What is love? This is my dad's inheritance. And I, I'm, I'm assuming this verse, you know, registers every, every so often in your life. As Jesus says to this is the Lord your God. So we know that it begins there. And we're going we're gonna to make sure that we all understand that as we look at another verse later. But the Lord, he is your Lord. So what is the commandments for you that, that Jesus is your Lord? So love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Here's what I do when I think about loving him with all. I immediately go to doing. Like, what do I do? Like, okay, I'm supposed to love you with all my heart. How do I love you with all my heart? What do I do? It's like doing, doing, doing. I just move into the work of loving Jesus. And it, it's, this is so hard for me to really explain well. I don't know if I fully understand it, if I were fully honest with you. But that position of knowing that he loves me is one I often just exclude, right? I go right into doing something to prove that I love you, Jesus, instead of receiving. I loved what Tessa said. I didn't talk to her, and I just felt like her story was so right on. So maybe... I'm the only one that does that in this room. But I know there's at least one other, and it's my wife. I'm not calling her out in front of everybody, but the, the, we just have this itch to prove it. I found that loving God is more about receiving than it is about doing. I asked my sister, who's a professional counselor, and I, I, talk, is, I go, is there a term about this, like receiving love? She's a Christian counselor, and being able to, to love. And, of course, I didn't understand what she said for the next five minutes. But then she gave me an illustration. And she said, I liken it to a well that only gives water when it's receiving water, right? You cannot earn love. You receive it from God through a loving relationship with him. That's how love comes in. That's how we fill up with his love and people drink of it all day long. This is drinking. <laughs> I love giving my wife a hard time. She is so boisterous with her hands. And I just did it. And I just, the Lord has a funny sense of humor. But the well can only give water away if it's connected to the source of water. It can get clogged, maybe. Maybe some of you, there's a clog in your well. Or it's connected to the wrong water source. But the source is Jesus himself. Kyle gave the message on abiding in the right place. The week before, abiding in the wrong Mephibosheth like that story of God actually carrying him to the table. He didn't deserve it. And he's like, 
I'm going to be led to my death. And then all of a sudden he's at the table and he receives it all. Not because of what he did, it was who he was. And I just, I want to say this. We're going to do something old school here. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're not going to put it on the screen. I did this on purpose. It's not in the slides. But, but I want to read this out loud. Because Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I bet everybody goes, what's, what's that verse about? Anybody want to shout it out out here? I'm going to interact like you're actually out there. It's about grace. I mean, that's where we go. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we always want to say it is grace, and we should. But if you back up just a little bit, if you start in verse 4, read with me. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of what? Oh, thank you, Jesus. It was your love. It's not one I have to produce. It's not one I have to have in order to get what's coming in the following verses. It's because you love me. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive, this love, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places. We're sitting in heaven already. What? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a really difficult time receiving gifts. Like even at the dinner table. No, we'll pay for ours. I know you want to pay for ours, but we're going to pay for ours. You know, it's like, no, I actually just want to pay for your meal you know, my friend would say or whatever. But receiving is, is a difficult task for me. But it's because of his great love. If I, if I could actually absorb that principle, that he loves me so much that I should just receive. Becoming a Christian is accepting Jesus as the Lord your God by grace, through faith, but because of love. Most of us were looking to fill the void in our heart. Blaise Pascal, within every man's heart, there's a God-shaped vacuum, right? What, for what? For a list of what to do to get the love? No, it's a, he's, he's trying to explain. I didn't talk to him, but he's a little older than I am, believe it or not. But he, he's no longer living. Let's just make sure. But he's saying fill the heart, fill the void with the person of Jesus. Fill it because he is love. So there's a void. Then once we accept Christ, okay, I accepted Christ. I've got grace. I received it. I know he loves me. And I, I've received it. I remember the day I was at the you know, University of Oklahoma. I bowed down in a busy cafeteria. I accepted Christ I believed it, I understood grace, I needed it, and I needed, some, I needed the void to be filled, and I knew that my life was going in the wrong trajectory, and yet here I have this opportunity to be forgiven of my sins, and I believed in Jesus, and my life changed. He came into my life. Wild Bill fraternity guy became some fruitcake nut 
who was absolutely out of his mind for Christ, who comes back into his fraternity and starts sharing the gospel. But the, the great thing is that I actually wanted to live my life for Christ. Now, the, the, the hard thing is, like, when I accepted Christ, it was like, snap. Like, stopped receiving and started doing, 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 doing. Like, what happens? What, what makes us move from the, the posture of not receiving anymore? I received at that, that chair in the busy cafeteria of Oklahoma. What happened? I start turning the gears to, I've got to do things to get your love, Lord. Instead of Jesus waiting there just saying, no, Billy. You're completely loved. You're absolutely adored by me and that will never end. And let me prove it to you. But receiving his, his love, I love what uh, Donald Miller does in his book, Blue, Light, Blue Like Jazz. He, uh, he talks about how much he struggled with the concept of receiving love. He talks about the time when he was in a relationship with a girl and uh, who would express her love to him, but he just couldn't quite believe it. It's a great story. He refused to receive it. He says this. He says, then she did it. She decided we didn't need to be in touch anymore. She broke it off. Sent, she sent me a letter saying that I didn't love it myself and I couldn't receive love from her. And Miller's story helped me realize this. If you can't see your own worth, it's because you don't want to. Therefore, when someone else points it out, like she did him, it's not going to become any more clear if you, if you already have, have it in your mind that you're not worthy. I can talk to you all day long, but if, you're not, if you don't get the point that you're worthy of his love, the intellect is not going to move to the heart. It has to be an understanding of the heart. So all your heart, you love Christ. It is impossible to receive love when you don't think God thinks you are worthy enough to be loved. I love that Miller brought this up. I can't even count the number of times I've heard this verse. He also talks about love your neighbor as yourself, which actually blends into this thought. He says, and I thought about the second and wondered why God would put this phrase so strongly in my mind. He was saying this, I would never talk to my neighbor the way I talk to myself. And that somehow I had come to believe it was wrong to kick other people around, but it was okay to do it myself. Isn't that nuts? But it's true. So, I always hear this reminder when I read that verse, I've got to love others, but I don't think about no, I actually have to receive to give. It's kind of like, you may not have heard this illustration, but like a branch in a vine. Like a branch in a vine that is drawing its nutrients, drawing everything. The branch is actually fully centered on the vine. It's not looking at the fruit. Because if he's looking at the fruit, the branch is going to fall and wither. 
So, I think the, the second part, love your neighbor as yourself, we often forget that in treating our neighbors as ourselves, that means we also have to receive love from God the way we, wish we should receive love from God. The phrase is, is not, love your neighbor the way more than you receive God's love. It's about we are worthy of receiving his love because of the sacrificial love Christ gave us on the cross. We don't deserve it, but we must receive it. To emphasize this point, I love this, these two words. I've been studying um, what eldering is. Like I love 1 Timothy 3 and the verses in Titus and um, how it talks about aspire, young Timothy, to be an elder as you grow older. And so if you look at those two, those two, I suggest that you do. You look at those two passages, and they talk about the qualifications. Interesting, he starts with qualifications. Who the person is, not what the person does. But he talks about these qualifications. But the interesting thing is there's, a, there's one word that's different. There's others, but there's one that really sticks out between the Titus passage and the Timothy passage. So there's these two words that sometimes are mistaken in the English language, language is the same, same in Greek. So the first one is hasios, means to devote, be devoted, be pure, dedicated, and often is translated as holy, hasios, used in Titus here. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, da 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 da, upright, holy, and disciplined. Holy. If you think about it like I have to be perfect, you've got the wrong image. Because there's more to that. It's actually, hasias means devout, pure, dedicated, holy life. It means the way that we live. Yes. We are to live a holy life. Absolutely. We actually need to be dedicated to living a holy life. But there's another word that sounds very similar in the New Testament, which sometimes is used as synonym. Simonman. <laughs> and I love it. it. It rhymes with rag. I mean, it starts with rag. It doesn't spell that way, but it's hagios, because we sang this verse, lay your rags down. And hagios is used several times, but not the way of hasias. It literally means the way God sees you. There's two sides of this coin here. Devoted, holy life, but you got to have the side as well. This side of the way that he sees you. So when we put our faith in Jesus, God sees us perfectly holy, not because of any works that we've done on earth, but because of our eternal position in Christ. It's important to remember God continues to see us perfectly holy because of Christ's redemptive work through his death and resurrection. It's explained by Paul in Ephesians. Ephesians 1.7, he gives us a picture of hagios. Hagios, excuse me. Um, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You've seen that, you've read it. Well, that is the actual like, not the definition, but it shows you how he sees you. It's one of the many times Paul uses this. He describes who we are in Christ. Paul also describes it in Corinthians. He says, to the church of God, 
which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be what? To be saints. There it is. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Hagios is translated saints, sanctified, set apart, made holy in Jesus Christ. And if you know Corinth, those guys needed to be seen as saints, not based on what they did at the time, which was not good. Oh, if you read, you know Corinthians. As we are believers in Christ, we're set apart. A New Testament writers did it did not call us saints because of the way we live, but because of the way God sees us in Christ. So when Paul uses the word holy or devout in the letter to Titus, Paul uses hasios, the way we should live in view of the way God sees us. So we're holy, but we're holy, we live holy based on what Jesus sees us as. There's a verse in Romans 8 where we know that we receive his love and it can't be separated from us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can't lose it. So this love, what is love? The question? There's only one way to answer it. I don't know what your definition is, but I've come down to put it into very simple language. I know that it's more than giving away love. We must first receive it. And I also know, as a context, we can't earn his love. So what is it? Well, it's not a what. It's a who. God is described as love. God is love. That's the answer. And this is where my English teacher wife is going to get on me because I know I messed up on the slide. She said, Billy, you've got to let me look through your slides before you put them up there. She's a sixth grade English teacher, and it's fully being exposed in the way that I write and talk and speak. She corrects very well. She's a loving, sweet wife. But I should have shown her this slide, because as you can see, it says, he does not love, he who does not love does know. No, it means he who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We know that the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Second Corinthians describes God as the God of love. His perfect love, what does it do? It casts out fear. He is love. There's no mistaking love because love originates from the heavenly Father. This is so good. It's not mine. It's Jesus's. But it comes from the heavenly Father who lives and gives his inheritance to his son, which is love. And the son gives us the inheritance of love by grace, through faith in him, but because of love. Man, he loves you. He's crazy about you. The way that I, I learned this was through uh, being a 17-year-old, grew up in Lake Highlands, the 80s were really crazy. Any 80s rock fans here? But the 80s were crazy. And part of it was I was not a Christian, so I got arrested for a minor in possession of alcoholic beverage. My, my actual curfew was at midnight. And um, 
I was supposed to be there at midnight, but at midnight I was getting arrested. So I got taken downtown, handcuffed. He was making, it was good. I did wrong. I should have been arrested. But he put me in handcuffs, and I'm still a little upset about that, I guess. But I got all the way down downtown. I had money because I had just gotten my check. I worked at Kroger, had cash, but my friend didn't. So I spent the evening till 3 a.m. trying to get money to get him out of jail. And long story short, I go outside the next morning. I get home at 3. I'm sitting on the porch, and I am scared to death. I'm full of fear. My father walks out, and he gets really angry and starts, you know, he, does, he has no idea I was in jail. And he keeps, he's like, you need to, you know, doing what, I, what I've done. And then I just got really honest. I used to just make excuses, but I just said, Dad, I, I, got, I went to jail last night. I watched my father's countenance change, and I watched my father cry for the first time in my life. My dad was weeping. He was weeping for me. But he was weeping more that I didn't come to him to receive his love. He said, Billy, I would have been there. I would have gone down there and gotten you. And he walked through the whole process, which he had done several times in my life. Not going to jail. That was the only time I went to jail. <laughs> but in so many other things. And the reason why I didn't go back to jail is because I knew he loved me. And I didn't want to ever do that to him again. I received something that day that caused me to live a different way. I wanted to obey my father when I knew how much he loved me. Jesus felt the same way with his father. He says, but that the world may know that I love the father, I do exactly as the father commanded me. At the point of salvation, you didn't get enlisted to prove your love for God. You began an ongoing loving relationship with him. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, our greatest need is to become who we already are in Christ. I'm not calling you to be more equipped, trying harder. I'm asking you to see yourself as who you already are as a believer. Like I did at age 20, I accepted him as my Savior, the Lord my God. And now when I say, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm actually going, Lord, this is a two-way street. I want to receive your love. I want you to fill my heart with all your love. What keeps me from basking in God's complete love, forgiveness, absolute acceptance? My challenge is depending on the truths of God's promises of me. The overwhelming sense I didn't deserve a seat at his table when I look at what I've done. I also won't surrender to who God really is. My view of God is often muted and manipulated. I often look at him as if he were my earthly father who sometimes is angry and ashamed of me. He sees me through his love. He sees me through Christ's love, that love that Jesus went all the way to the cross for. Surrendering to that peace of understanding 
is what changes my life. Surrendering to how much he loves me. It's not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus. He calls you his child and loves you like your father, like he's your father. Hasias is, is the one about living and dwelling in him. And we can see, we spend so much time figuring out how to surrender our sinful ways, we forget the person we are surrendering to. But look at after this verse, I'm forgetting the address of it. 1 Corinthians, if you are the temple of the living God, I dwell in you. He walks through those things, but the next part of this verse is, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So I ask you, like, what is the inheritance you're passing on? Especially you fathers. What are you passing on? The the inheritance of the father, he gave love to the son. There's lots of verses there. The inheritance Jesus gives to us is love. There's lots of verses there. Surrender to his love. So there's a great uh, surrender to the the father's perfect love. He's the perfect father. He's not like your earthly, earthly father. Knowing and acting on this knowledge are two different things. Dallas Willard says to believe something is to act as if, act as if it is so. So we have to actually receive it. Andrew Murray died in 1917. He's, he's basically spiritually parented me through his books. Uh, Abiding in Christ. If you've read it, good for you. If you haven't, it's shameful. I'm just kidding. <laughs> In his book, he, ran, he just randomly throws out this, this phrase, hushing the soul. My uh, step-grandmother would use that with, with my granddad. Oh, hush. Her, his name was Fush. Oh, hush, Fush. I mean, in such a loving way that it wasn't like, hush. It was like, oh, hush, Fush. And I, I see that. Do I hush my soul? In order to receive. The soul is that active part. The will. Do I, do I actually hush? Kyle's going to come up and lead us in communion. But before he does that. I want to ask you. To hush the soul. There was a moment. In the last month or so. That I go. I don't know if I'm really hushing the soul Lord. So I got down on the carpet. I put my face in my hands. And I said Lord I'm going to try this. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to ask you to help me hush my soul. I want to receive whatever you want to give me. And so he starts saying, you need to write a check to something. I go, wait, that's not what you're talking about. That's me. And then I I just threw that out. And then eventually I got to this place. And the thing that I heard, it wasn't an audible voice. But it was definitely the impression of the Holy Spirit. I've I've grown to know it after 36 years of walking with him. He said, Billy, it's just random. Because I'm I'm looking for, what's my next marching orders, God? Show me what to do. He said, Billy, you're a good father. And I knew that was from him because I've lived with a phantom father figure. The perfect earthly father. And I would fail so often. Because I'm living up to his, this standard, this fictional standard of an earthly father. And when I hushed my soul, 
I heard him say that, and then I heard the words, because you were resurrected. I mean, what a strange thing. You may want to explain that to me later, but I do know that because of his resurrection, I'm already perfect in his eyes. I'm a perfect father. I'm going to mess up here on earth, but I know that I'm already forgiven, accepted, and loved by him. So I'm just going to pray. Andrew Murray gives this quote. But I'm going to pray through this thought of hushing our soul today. And as I do that, I'm going to just ask you to say, Lord, hush my soul for a minute. If you want to say something to me, great. If not, will you do it later? But I'm also going to speak words of truth over you and who you really are. I want you to receive some of the I mean, these are just barely any of them, but some of the things that are true of you right now. Receiving his love is one thing, but it manifests itself in so many other ways. So will you pray with me, please? Holy Spirit, come. Hush our soul. Hush my soul. I'm speaking to you. You are God's prized possession. You are not forgotten. You are chosen. You have been purchased with Christ's blood. You're not an orphan. You are not alone. You are Jesus' beloved. You're not unwanted. You're not defeated. You're made new. You're a citizen of heaven. You're protected from the evil one. You belong to God. You are kept in his hand. You can't be separated by the Father's love. You are a loved son. And you are a loved daughter. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.